0: what kind of God do we follow? Why do we think God's so amazing? There's so many reasons. But tonight, the reason I want to talk to you about is this. Our God is amazing because the God we follow is a God who gives good gifts. Our God is a giver of gifts. Now that is a fantastic thing. Let me show you a few of the things that the Bible says about God's generosity to us. Here's one of my favorite passages in 1 Timothy 4.4. 4. It says, for everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. I love how simple that is and how direct it is. Do you know that God has given us a whole world full of stuff? And he created it for us. He created it for us to use and to enjoy. He created it for our sustenance and to take care of us. And yes, the world is broken. Not everything always works right. But you know what? God has given us all these great things and they're not bad. They are given us, and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. Because God's a good God who gives us good things. Look at the second passage. This is 1 Timothy six seventeen. It says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us, get it, with everything for our enjoyment. In other words, there's rich and poor, yes, but you know what's really important? It's the Lord that provides us with everything. But not only does he provide us with everything, he provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Do you know God is a God that is happy when we enjoy things? That's why he gives us things. In James 1.17, it says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Have you ever had something in your life When you have just felt, oh, this is awesome. I'm so glad I got to do this. I'm so glad I got to be here. I'm so glad I I got to to have this thing. And that's a good gift that really encourages your spirit. Do you know where that came from? It came from God. It was a gift of God. And he shares that with everyone alike. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. That's called common grace. And we all, in this world, get to enjoy the good things of God. Because God is a giver of good gifts. Now, Today, we are going to take a look at one of God's good gifts, alcohol. I saw saw some heads pop up when I said that. I knew I would catch you on that because some of you are like, what? I thought Christians didn't drink. I am serious. We are going to talk about God's good gift of alcohol. The series that we are doing is called Gifts of God. And as we talk about some of these things, what we are going to see is that there are lots of things in our world which are difficult, which are hard to manage, which might be hard to navigate, and there's lots of things that govern what we do and how we approach our behavior. But so often we come at them from such a different perspective than we really should. This series we call Gifts of God because what we need to understand is God gives us things for our enjoyment. What we need to know is how do we use them, and how do we understand them, and what should our perspective be on them as we live out our lives? How does God expect us to do that? Let me show you some of the things that God tells us about his, yes, gift of alcohol in Scripture. Here's Psalm 104, 14 and 15. It says, He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for man to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth. Wine that gladdens the heart of man. Oil to make his face shine. And bread that sustains his heart. We did a uh, message on Psalm 104 in the fall, if you remember. And uh, as I said then, this is the passage I call the biblical basis for foodies. I am a foodie. I really like this. And I love the attitude of this verse. What does it was to say, God has created all kinds of good things on this earth. And notice how it says, it, it says, he creates He creates wine that gladdens the heart of man. It's a gift. He creates oil to make his face shine, bread that sustains his heart. That's just me, glass of wine, bread, little olive oil. Mm, I'm like doing great. Biblical basis for foodies, ladies and gentlemen. There it is. Let me show you another passage. This is Jeremiah 31, 12. It says, They will come and shout for joy on the heights of Zion. They will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord the grain, the new wine, and the oil, the young of the flocks and herds. They will be like a well-watered garden, and they will sorrow no more. Now, the context of this passage is in a very dire time. It's actually talking about Israel going into exile, which is going to be the worst time of their history, but it's also talking about how years later they're going to return. And this is a poetic description of their return from exile and What I want you to see is just how God describes this restoration that he has in store. It says that they will rejoice in his bounty. What kind of things does it describe? It describes grain and wine. It describes oil. It describes the animals that they can eat. It describes the herds. It describes an abundance of things for them to eat and be sustained by and to enjoy. It's a gift. That's how it describes his pleasure. And his blessing. Now, there's a story in John chapter 2 in the New Testament that is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And if you're familiar with it, you know that the very first miracle that Jesus ever did was at a wedding. Jesus was at a wedding. It was really right at the time he was about to launch his public ministry. And basically his mom comes up and says, The hosts have run out of wine. Don't let them be embarrassed. Do something. And you're Jesus and you're just thinking, what do you want me to do? And that's kind of what he says. He kind of says, woman, my time has not yet come. And yet, he does do something. He instructs some servants to go to this. In verse 7 of John 2, it tells this story. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom a sign and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. You save the best till now. And then it summarizes this the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and the disciples put their faith in him. Now, why do I point this out? Do you know why it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible? Because the very first miracle Jesus did was at a party. The very first miracle Jesus did was to give people joy through wine at a wedding reception. Now, I've been to a lot of wedding receptions. I get to marry a lot of people. And uh, I get to go to a lot of weddings. I just love the atmosphere at a wedding reception. There's just so much joy. And there's just so much enjoyment. I don't know about you... I like following a God like that. I like following a God who is so happy that he just wants to create enjoyment in his people. Do you think of God that way? Do you often think of God of being that loving, that giving, that generous? He is. He's a God who gives good gifts. And as these passages show, one of those good gifts that is often mentioned is wine. Now, I realize... That in these days, biblical times, typically all you drank was wine or water. There just really wasn't, you know, there wasn't that freestyle Coke machine. Those things are awesome. There wasn't that, okay? I understand that there were just those two choices. But one of the things we have to see is that that does not reduce the idea of this wine being a gift. It doesn't reduce the idea of the gifting heart of God creating that for men and women's enjoyment. This is what the scripture tells us. But here's what I need to point out so we can begin to go deeper into this idea of the gifts of God. I want you to notice how this story ends in verse 11. Look at it, the very last verse. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his what? Glory. And his disciples put their faith in him. In other words, this miracle that Jesus did accomplished something. It had a purpose. It resulted in something called glory, which is kind of a churchy word, if you're not really familiar with that word. Glory basically means attention, praise, honor. Again, what do you do when Georgia scores a touchdown? What do you sing? Glory, glory to old... Oh Wow, talk about a room with no sports fans in it. Wow, that's um, some lack of school spirit right there. Glory, right? You sing about glory, I'll fall. A lot, because we score a lot of points. (laughs) Glory. In other words, you're saying, hey, everybody, look how great George is. We scored. Glory. Give us glory. See, that's what that is. God is saying, this is honor and attention and praise being given to God. The results of this miracle, which involved wine, was God's glory. We have seen this before tonight. Look at 1 Timothy 4.4 4 again. <clears throat> oh, go back, there you go. Command those who are rich in this world not to be arrogant and put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God with the result of what? Who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. <clears throat> Wait a minute, that's not the one I'm reading. I'm reading 1 Timothy 4.4. 4. No, go back. There, that one. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with what? thanksgiving. If you give thanks, you have to give thanks to someone, right? Someone is receiving the honor of being the giver. It's God. Why does God give us things? It results in his glory, thanksgiving. What about the next one? May the what of the Lord? Glory of the Lord endure forever. In Psalm 104.31, near the end of the psalm, after the psalmist looks at all that God has made and all the things God has given us, he says, may the glory of the Lord endure. All these things that God has given, they result in his glory. Do you see it? This is the point. The gifts result in the glory. Or let me say it this way. The gifts point to the giver. How's that? In every one of these instances, when the Bible talks about the goodness of God, the good things he gives us point us to him. It's the giver which is ultimate. Now, C.S. Lewis was someone who understood this. And in his essay, The Weight of Glory, there's this great quote, which I just love. I'm going to read it to you. It's going to be up there on the screen. He says this about us and pleasure. If there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, I submit this notion has crept in from Kant and the Stoics and is no part of the Christian faith. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospel, this is key, it would seem our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. See what he's saying there? What he is saying there is that we human beings, we settle. God has created us with a great capacity for pleasure and enjoyment. And he has given us many, many things, but we just settle and we settle for the gifts. Instead of really reaching the enjoyment that we're supposed to reach, which is the Giver. We are too easily pleased. We settle for worldly ambition and sex and drink and other gifts that God gives us instead of pressing into what really would bring us the deepest joy, which is the Lord himself. Or another way that it gets said is this other quote, which is praise is the culmination of our enjoyment of anything. What he is saying here is that if we are truly to enjoy a gift, we must press through the gift, not only to enjoy the gift, but to enjoy the one who gave it. If we really enjoy a gift, that gift transports us to him. A number of years ago when I was living in Illinois, I had the wonderful privilege on a beautiful April afternoon to be sitting on the second row behind the first base dugout at Wrigley Field. It's was in Chicago. The sky was deep blue. The sun was out. It was beautifully warm. I could hear the ball whistling through the air, popping into the mitt. And as I sat in this dense city, in front of me was this beautiful expanse of manicured green. In case you haven't noticed yet, I'm a real baseball person. And as I sat there at Wrigley Field, I thought to myself, this is it. Is this heaven? No, it's Iowa. No, it's a different movie. I'm sitting at this baseball field, and I'm thinking to myself, I love this. This is amazing. I'm feeling the sun, I'm seeing the green grass. I'm hearing the ball pop into the leather glove. Baseball is happening and I th- suddenly thought, "God, you're amazing. Thank you so much for giving me this." And I went, oh. Yes, I did it." <laughs> That's what I mean. I was actually in a spot where I was enjoying God's gifts so much. I couldn't help but worship. That's what we mean by pressing through the gift to the giver. When we enjoy something to the point that we really should enjoy it, we actually go through the gift to the even greater enjoyment of God. What is that quote that was just up there? Praise is the culmination of the enjoyment of anything. C.S. Lewis would say, you know the problem? The problem is not that we enjoy God's gifts too much. It's that we don't enjoy them enough. So when you're sitting at that Italian restaurant with that glass of Pietro Marini Malbec from the Tuscana region of Argentina. 2018 vintage, that's really important. And you take a sip of that wine and it's just, wow. That place that should really take you is, I can't believe this is so good, Lord. I can't believe that you created wine. What an awesome thing. You're an awesome guy. Thank you. Or when you're sitting at the Odell Brewery in Fort Collins, Colorado, and you've got that glass of easy street wheat, white Belgian brewed right there, fresh on tap in that frosted glass, and you take a sip, and you're like, "Mm." and you look off in the distance at the mountains. I just did this in December. You look off in the mountains, and you just think, Lord, thank you. This is so good. That's when you're really enjoying your gift. Do you see what I'm saying? Now, as I say that, I know it gets confusing, especially when, let's come back to the subject of alcohol. You're saying, okay, so you're saying my desires are too weak, not too strong. I should actually seek to enjoy the gift more. So should I drink more? Is that what you're telling me? No, that's actually not what I'm telling you. What I'm telling you is that that should take you to the pleasure of God. Now listen. Let's talk about this a little bit. The ultimate expression of the gift is this. 1 Corinthians 10:31. So whatever you so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do do it all for the glory of God. That's what we mean that our desires are too weak. We stop with the gift. We stop with a glass of alcohol or whatever it is that we're enjoying, and we don't press through to the glory of God in it. What that means is when it comes to any gift, but with alcohol too, we need to enjoy the gift in a way that honors the giver. And now let's get into some of the nuts and bolts of it, right? Alcohol is a powerful thing. God gives powerful gifts. He's a powerful God. How do we enjoy such a thing in a way that honors the Lord? Well, the scripture actually teaches us how, and it explains it to us. How do we do that with alcohol? There are some guardrails that God talks about in his word that help govern our hearts, which would rather abuse the gift than enjoy the giver. So I'm going to end tonight by blasting through four of them. I'm going to go fast. Those of you keeping notes, keep up. But here's four of them. The first guardrail is this. We use it lawfully. Romans 13, 1 and 2 says this. Everyone must submit himself to governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. This is a very clear passage about obeying the law. Now, for a gift as powerful as alcohol, there are laws. You cannot drink and drive. You cannot carry an open container of alcohol in your car. And here's the one where everyone starts grumbling. Ladies and gentlemen, in the state of Georgia, the minimum drinking age for alcohol is 21. Now, God wants us to obey government authorities unless their laws directly contradict his commands. Which is in Acts 4 and 5. That's another message. Go look in our archive podcast and listen to the talk on authority. It talks all about that. But the point is this. Clearly, God wants us to obey governing authorities. And there's no command in Scripture that says, Thou shalt not pay attention to drinking age. This is not a direct contradiction to God's commands. We use God's gift lawfully. Now, think about it. If you tried to enjoy God's gift in the way I'm talking about, all the while knowing you were being disobedient, do you think the giver of that gift is going to be pleased? No. So this is one guardrail. God expects us to use his gifts lawfully. Let me give you a second one. We do not abuse it. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Or how about this passage, which no one ever talks about, but is a fantastic passage. This is a description in Proverbs of being drunk. Who has a woe? I'm going to try to read this poetically. Stick with me. Who has a woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine, Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind imagine confusing things. You will be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying atop the rigging. They hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? A great passage. Now, I don't know about you, isn't it a little hard to reconcile that the same Bible that has one, Psalm 104, 14, and 15 about wine that gladdens the heart of man also has this passage? See, it's, it's, it's not a simplistic thing. What these passages are talking about is drunkenness. That's abuse of God's good gift. Now, it's not that hard to understand why God would be so unhappy with drunkenness. When we get drunk, we lose our ability to control ourselves, and we cannot live righteously, We cannot control our choices. God is not honored by us abusing his gift. Do you think that getting drunk is a way to honor God? You see, this is not, this is why not drinking more, how do I say that? This is why enjoying God's gift does not mean drinking more of it. Do you understand what I'm saying? We don't abuse God's gifts. Here's number three. We do not allow it to master us. First 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 13. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. Now in this passage, <clears throat> Paul is talking about some other things besides alcohol, but the principle still is covered. You see what Paul is saying here? He's actually speaking to believers. People who have their faith in Christ. Now, if you are a person who has your faith in Christ, that, you, that means you believe what we call the gospel, which is a, a churchy word that means the good news. What is the good news? It is that even though we are sinful, evil people that have been separated from our God by our sin because he's holy, Jesus Christ came and suffered on the cross and died in our place to take the punishment for that sin that we could be restored to him. Because of that, our sin is now not held against us. That's the good news. We can have that relationship with God again. Because that sin is not held against us, we will not be condemned. There is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, Romans 8 says. Which means when we still sin now, when we blow it, God does not reject us. In a sense, everything is permissible for us. Because nothing we do is going to ruin our relationship with God. Those sins are forgiven. In a sense, yeah, everything is permissible. We have grace. But, Paul says, not everything is beneficial. It's true, everything is permissible. But I'm not going to be mastered by something. Paul looks at all the choices that can be made in life and says, Yes, I am free in Christ. I am no longer condemned. But that doesn't mean I want to do everything. I really only want to do what's good for me. I really only want to do what is not going to master me and take me over so I can still be the Lord's, right? In other words, he understands that there are some limits sometimes to the choices we make. And so, anything that creates an addiction in us is to be rejected. We will not be mastered by anything. Anything that rivals God in our lives is to be rejected. Money, drinking, video games, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, whatever it is, if it creates mastery over us, it is to be rejected. It's permissible, but it's not good for us, right? Alcohol is the same. Listen, if drinking is too much for you to handle, if drinking just turns into mastery for you, you know what? This gift is not for you. Find pleasures in other ways that will honor God. Maybe this one's not for you. And I guess I should stop here. I I have given this talk, as you can tell, kind of from a a happy, lighthearted tone. Because I really think we need to talk about it that way. But I I I do need to talk about something seriously here for a moment. I know, I know actually, personally, there are at least a few people in this room who have a history of alcoholism in your family. Um, this is the worst kind of mastery. And you have seen firsthand the pain and the destruction that alcohol can cause and that what abuse of alcohol turns into. And let me just say, I guess this is kind of my dead heart coming out. Let me just say, if that's you, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry that you have experienced that in your past. I wish we did not live in a world in which our sinfulness just caused that kind of destruction. Because it is awful. I I was talking to a good friend, a student a couple of days ago, and he was telling me how both of his grandfathers suffered from alcoholism. It dissolved their marriages, it broke their families. He was telling me once of after his grandma left his grandfather, his grandfather took a chainsaw to the furniture in their living room. Just such a picture of destruction. That alcoholism can result in and so those of you who have suffered through that or have suffered that in a parent or a sibling or a close friend you know how horrible that is and for you I understand that you may have mental and emotional associations with alcohol that are painful and it may be for you that those associations prevent you from ever Picking up a glass and enjoying it to the extent of enjoying the giver in it, and that's that is okay. You don't have to. You hear me? If that's the case, if those associations are there, that's sensible, and and it's not your fault. But again, it may be that this gift is not for you, and that's okay. There are so many other gifts that God gives us to enjoy. If you cannot engage with drinking in a way that does not defile your conscience, don't do it. Don't do it if it puts you in a bad place spiritually, emotionally, mentally, if it brings up too much from the past. There are other gifts through which to worship. Sorry, dad heart coming out there. Okay, let's move on. Number four, last one. Last guardrail is we do not harm others with it. Romans 14 I could do a whole message on this. We'll just do this one little passage. This is an example of a principle. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. In itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Now, in this case... The issue he was talking about in Paul's culture was eating food that had been sacrificed to an idol in the marketplace. That's not something we struggle with here in America. But you could just put the word drinking in there, and it would be the exact same principle. Do not by your drinking destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Verse 16, do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men this is the principle of not causing your brother or sister to stumble and what it simply means is this what Paul is saying in this passage is It is true, God gives us all good things for our enjoyment. It is true that anything is is good and is not to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. However, there are some, because of maybe some of the things I just talked about, for whom alcohol would be a stumbling block. They just can't drink it without drunkenness. Or it just brings up too much pain. Or there are some who think that God really does say in his word, you should never touch that. And it's not our place to judge that person for any of those reasons. And what Paul says is, okay, maybe you do have the freedom and the right to do that. But if you love your brother and sister and your drinking alcohol would, be, would tempt them to sin or would put them in a bad place, you need to let go of your right to do that for their sake. In other words, you need to love your brother and sister by restricting your own rights. This is not causing your brother and sister to stumble. So... We might have the right to enjoy God's good gifts, but we do not use that right to harm others. We do not enjoy God's gifts in a way that harms others. And you know what it says in that last verse? Anyone who serves Christ with that attitude in this way is pleasing to God. Again, that results in God's glory. It just keeps coming back to that. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whether you don't eat or you don't drink, do all to the glory of God. Bottom line, God is a giver of good gifts. He desires us to enjoy them. He's not out to kill your fun. He's out to increase it. We are neither legalists nor abusers of his gifts. This is what it means to have freedom in Christ. But the freedom is not just to enjoy the gift, you guys. The freedom is to use the gift to enjoy the giver. Pray with me. Lord, you're a really great God. You're amazing. Lord, thank you so much that you are are this kind of God. Thank you so much that you have a heart that is for our good. Thank you, Lord, that you are a generous God. Thank you that you are a God that um, wants our joy to be complete. Lord, our joy is complete in you. And we come together and we admit that tonight. Lord, our heart is to say yes. We affirm it. We affirm that the gift is not the ultimate good. You are. And all of us have gathered in this room tonight to practice that statement called worship. And so, Lord, as we sing these songs tonight, we want you to have that worship. Father, I pray for all of us in this room here tonight. Father, I know that across a crowd this big, there are so many different people. Lord, there are some that are experiencing you for one of the first times. And and I pray, Father, they would see your heart is so generous and so, so fun-loving and so giving. And Father, I know that there are others in here who, who may be struggling with this gift and using it properly. And Lord, I pray for them that you, Holy Spirit, would place on them a sense of discipline, a sense of wisdom, a sense of courage to live counterculturally in this. Lord, I also pray for those in this room who are hurting because of this gift or rather because of the abuse of this gift. Lord, I pray for healing. Healing for them that have really experienced the pain of seeing this gift abused, of seeing the the destruction that can come from it. Lord, you make all things new, and now in Christ we are new creations. Would you let that new creation also influence their hearts for healing, for peace, for comfort as your Holy Spirit ministers to them in thinking about this topic? So we lift... We lift all ourselves up to you. Have our worship. Amen.